correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, the show where me and my friend Steve here talk RPGs. How's it going, Steve? Hey, Steve. So, first things first, let's talk about our show of the week. And our show of the week is Shared Sagas, who's currently playing Star Wars RPG. Indeed they are. Tell me a little bit about Shared Sagas, Darcy. Well, they are a bunch of Aussies who get together and play games. And they've done a bunch of different stuff. I know they did a little bit of D&D. They did some Shadowrun. But currently they've got kind of a a longer campaign of Star Wars going and... uh, Quite a lot of fun to listen to. I'm a bit behind because I listen to entirely too many podcasts at this point in my life, but they're quite a fun bunch. And if you're looking for them, you can find them at sharedsagas.podbean.com. Yeah. So our topic for the week is when to roll dice. And I think it's an interesting topic because a system that we both have a fondness for does this really well. In a system we both have mild disdain for, I wouldn't say disdain, but mild uncomfortableness for, does this very horribly. Yeah, I think some of that is is also its heritage of play. It doesn't have to be done that way, but that's the way it's been done, and so people continue to think that way. Yeah, I know it's... How do I put this? I know it's heritage of play, but it's also in the rules, and I know... Obviously, not to beat around the bush. We're talking about D&D again, just real quick. But <laughs> I know it's in the rules of when to roll dice and, and all of that. I know you. we always talk about the rule of cool, but when it comes to stuff like that, it feels like especially, especially people who are maybe newer to the system or even some more experienced people want those dice rolls to make to be decisive rather than being decisive or making a decision themselves. And I think in my personal opinion, I've stolen this from multiple people, but the main person that I I took inspiration from was GM Chris, who said only make dice rolls when it is, when it is either beneficial or can cause terrible damage to the party. Meaning that I'm only going to want to roll dice on like a perception check if it means that I miss some huge thing or I get to see something really important. Mm -hmm. I think, as I remembered, he said basically only roll dice if the failure is interesting or something along those lines. It sounds, that's what sticks in my head. But yeah, but that goes into a little bit too. Yeah, you don't want to just like, yeah, you don't need to roll for everything, right? Because... Let's be honest, you know, there's the, the concept that, that I've heard it named is presumed competence. And to me, what that means is essentially that your characters in a game are, look, they're, they're investigators, they're adventurers, whatever. They are actually good at what they do. Well, yeah. And I think the other thing, and this is something, 
maybe we'll get into a little deeper later, but presumed competence that grows as you play. So especially in a game with like a level system or in the case of Genesis where you have experience points, the later in the game, the less necessary it is for you to do roles on minor things because you are competent at this point. You've learned what to look out for and you've learned, you know, like I might make a streetwise check early in the game that I don't need to make that same streetwise check later because I know that slang or, you know, I've acquired that skill. My skills have gotten bigger, better, more powerful. Yeah. And I think that's something that not to keep harping on Dungeons and Dragons because we do harp on it a lot, but that's something that Dungeons and Dragons, especially as rules as written, kind of misses is that the later in the game, the less necessary it is for you to do an insight check on somebody when you know somebody's lying to you. You know, it's maybe it's less necessary for you to do a perception check because your passive perception should be a lot higher at this point. You should be a little bit more able to read and understand a situation. Well, see, I think that is something that they've implemented is the, the concept of passive checks that is really intended to cut down on the unnecessary roles. And the only one kind of basically written in is passive perception, but you could do that with any skill. Yeah, you could absolutely do it with any skill, but the fact that they just wrote it in for passive perception is kind of, I don't know, maybe telling, in my opinion, that they think it's more about, like, they think, you know, like a lockpick check should not be like to pick locks should not be as difficult later on in the game unless it's like like obviously more difficult lock. But if I'm just like opening a house door, that's the same difficulty now as it was back when we first started. The only difference is, is that back when we first started, I wasn't as experienced in opening house doors. You know what I mean? Right. I've opened, you know. I've worked and opened harder doors at this point. Now it's time that if I go to pick a lock, well, I should be able to just do it. Uh, that also plays into, and and this is something that you'll hear people talk about it, and I swear it's probably generated almost as many arguments around tables as anything else. But as written, I do not believe there are critical fails or critical success on skill checks in Dungeons & Dragons. No, rules as written does not have critical success or critical failure on on skill checks. And personally, I like critical failures and critical successes, especially on skill checks, because sometimes you can do a thing so horribly or so well that it is either funny or super beneficial to the party or beneficial to the game in some way, you know? Yeah. But, you know, it's just dumb luck. It's just that like, oh, I just lucked into this. Now it works. And that's where I think Genesis really does that well, because you have the triumphs and you have the despair. And I look at those as like, there are criticals in Genesis, but I look at triumph and despair as your criticals, as your critical success, as your critical failure, you know, your despair is going to be your critical failure. You, you failed so hard that something bad has to happen. Yeah. It's not exactly that, but it, it it is sort of that in a way. Too. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily like you can you can succeed and still acquire a despair. But I kind of look at them in that sense of, you know, yeah, I just look at it like in the sense of Genesis has despair and has that triumph where 
you know, you can fail upward and you can fail downwards. Like, yeah, well, I think it's worth noting too, though, and this is getting into a little bit of the mechanics of games, but Genesis and one of my personal favorite systems, Delta Green, your crit or, you know, however you want to view them and as far as triumphs, et cetera, in Genesis, but your crit scale with your ability in those systems and Dungeons and Dragons does not do that. It's a 5% chance either way, unless you have some special feat, blah, 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 that then makes it 10%. Yeah. For success. It's it. Dungeons and Dragons is a very binary system. Yes. And I think you see that in a lot of D20 systems. And I, I don't, I like D20 systems. I like D100 systems. And it, personally, at this point, I've come to the point in my life where I'm, I'm more inclined to like a D100 system better. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think, I don't know. There's something about. There's something about a really nice D20 system, but I, I really like a nice D100 system a little bit more than a D20 system. It doesn't feel, we've talked about like swingy, which is a hard thing to quantify, but D20 feels really binary, really yes or no in a lot of cases. And D100 systems feel like degrees of failure or degrees of success in most cases. I think maybe it is because you're on a fixed scale where with D20, you're going for a target number in most, in most, you know, your classic F20s, you know, D&D, Pathfinder, et cetera, you're, you're going for, okay, my target number is this. And, but it's, it's, yes, there's bounded accuracy and all that stuff, but it's not that, you know, your target number, like there's a, an OSR game out there called Warlock, mm -hmm. which is, by the way, <laughs> it's, a, I, I, I haven't picked it up yet, but I've heard it played and I really like it as kind of a simple lightweight fantasy. Let engine. me guess, wait, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do something weird. I'm going to shout out a podcast that's not on the network. Let me guess where you heard that played. You heard that played on Mud and Blood. Yeah, I love indeed. that show. I, I, they're very good. They also, they interviewed the creator as well and did a, I believe they did a review of the they game did, as yep. well. Um, but one thing that, that the guy that wrote that, I believe his name's Greg Sanders or mm -hmm. Saunders or anyway, he built it as a D20 system that mimics a D100 system. Okay. Yeah, that's. And he did that by your target number is always 20. Mm -hmm. You add your, you know, your skill, whatever, your die roll. And you're trying to beat 20. Well, you know, five times 20 is 100. Right. So it's effectively, it's a D100 system, but played with a D20. But in the case of like Dungeons and Dragons, where say you're trying to hit something that's armor class is 13. Well, it it's either you do or you don't. I mean, if you go over that, technically, yeah, there is with, with combat, there is that crit success thing, but it's very much like, in my opinion, especially in combat and D&D, it's, do you hit an armor class 13? Yes or no? If the answer is no, okay, cool, we move on. If the answer is yes, all right, then then we move on to combat. It's not a sense of, no, I have, like, with a D100 system, you do have that chance of, like, okay, your range is, 13 is the target number. Well, that's really easy. So what degree of success do I get? And that's more of where I like my D100 systems is what degree of success am I succeeding at? You know, 
I'm rolling a 100 and my target number is 50 and I roll a 55. Okay, what does that entail? I hit my target number. I go just over it. What does that entail? I think that's where when rolling dice, I prefer D100 systems because it seems like you have the chance for granularity, both in success and failure. You know, I need a 50, but I rolled a 49. Well, I almost got there. So when the GM's describing what happens, you have a better idea of where your failure point was. You know what I mean? Like I'm scaling a building and not necessarily that it's like life or death, but I'm scaling a building and I go to grab for my next handhold and I roll a 48 and I needed a 50 just means that my hand slips and maybe I didn't make the handhold, but I'm on the next platform down or maybe the DM's nice. And I just made that handhold, but my hand still slipped and now I'm in more of a precarious position than I was, you know? Yeah. Most D100 systems are roll under, not roll over, but... Right, and occasionally you have those target number D100 systems. But the roll under systems is even more of that, like, roll under a, roll under a 30. Okay, well, that tells me, you know, that tells me a lot, too. You know what I mean? Well, I think it just, it processes quicker in the mind for most people, because you look at, okay, my skill is 45%. So I have a 45% chance of success. Yeah. It, it's it's that simple. And and so you rolled a 47. You just barely mm-hmm. didn't get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and while you could you could narrate that out with with D D or whatever, it just doesn't hit quite the same way. It doesn't click in in at least my brain as fast. No, I ha- like if you tell me roll a D20 or roll a D one hundred and roll under, you know you know, roll a D100 and it's a 30% chance of success or a 40% chance of success. Okay. And I roll, you know, I roll over that. All right. Well, now I know that, you know, I failed that and I know what degree I failed that at, but you tell me I rolled a 13 on a D20 and I'm going to look at you and go, what's that mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think we're, we're kind of getting into the weeds yeah, well, <laughs> a little bit, but it's us, so we, we we do that. This is the first time <laughs> me and you have sat down to record a podcast together in a while. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But I mean, like the, the, the concept of, you know, the presumed competence is essentially that if it's something pretty simple, like, yeah, like it's something it's, it's, you just, you know, do the, do the characters notice the thing sitting on the desk? Well, let's see. Uh, you've got a private detective, a police officer, and, a mercenary. Well, these are all people who pretty much part of their job, you know, part of the reason they can stay alive at their job is because they notice things. So thing is setting on the desk. There's a good chance they're just going to notice it. You don't need to make them roll for everything because, and this is an issue I've personally run into at times is every now and then you get those situations where you need them to find something. And if you make them roll, they can fail, and then if everyone fails, now they don't have the thing they need. Well, I think my thing is is that if you have, say, a private detective and a, and a cop or whatever, and they're searching the room, and one of them goes, I searched the desk, well, then now you know, okay, well, that's the private detective. Of course he's going to search the desk. Once he starts searching the desk, well, you find this, 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 and this. You don't have to make them roll to find it because it doesn't make any sense to make them roll to find it. You know, like 
it's one of my issues with D&D is that like, well, I want to search that. I want to search that chest or I want to search this. Okay, give me a D20. All right. What's, you know, and you roll it and then it's like, well, you find this, this, this and this, but you didn't find the puzzle piece you were looking for. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, I just tore that thing apart. I was looking for it. You know, I'm especially at higher levels. It's like, I, I'm, I'm not new to this, you know? Yeah. Now, one thing I, I would suggest and it's come to my mind is a way, if, because I think too, there's an element where rolling dice, at least for some players, helps them feel involved, makes them feel like they're actually affecting the story as opposed to the GM just narrating it. I think it depends on the kind of game and the type of player you are. I would tend to agree. Yeah. I, I, I'm not arguing with you, but I'm just, just, you know, in my mind, I think if you're more of a, if you're more of a role player and we, you know, go back and listen to our episode on player types, but if you're more of a role player, maybe you don't necessarily need to roll dice constantly to stay involved. Right. Like I like to roll dice at least <laughs> I like to roll dice at least once or twice a game. I don't mind it so much. Like, I don't need to be rolling dice every two seconds. I just don't. Right. But a thought that has come to my mind to use is, okay, so you're going to have them find it, but you you have them roll to see how quickly they find it or if maybe they find something extra, you know, and, and okay, maybe you have to make up the extra off the top of your head. But, you know... It goes back to, you know, like the in the classic D&D rules, you're supposed to roll, what is it, every five or ten feet of a tunnel if you're checking for traps? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, that's tedious and boring and time-consuming, and unless it's just an evil dungeon, there's going to be a lot of those rolls that aren't going to turn up anything because there's nothing there to find. Well, and I played in the game where somebody had me roll... A bunch of my checks up front. They were like, all right, you're entering the dungeon. Go ahead and roll your checks up front and write them down. And it's like, okay, well, this is not like it. it, it it's a little bit better because then you're not rolling dice every two seconds. But the fact of it is, is that rules is written for dungeoneering and D&D for a game called Dungeons and Dragons is kind of abysmal. <laughs> it, it gets sloggy. And there comes a point, too, where is, like you said, is if you've gone up, gone up in levels and so forth, and this character has been climbing through dungeons for the last several years or several months or whatever, they're going to have a sense of what to look for, where a trap would likely be, etc. So it does make sense to not have them roll every time. And, you know, there's also the idea of if you have a player roll something, they think that there's something there to find. You know, if you call for a roll and they fail, in a lot of players' minds, that means, oh, we missed something, and so now you've got the rest of the table trying to find it, or they start metagaming, and it's, an, it's a human thing, right? I'm not trying to say it's wrong, but it, again, it starts slogging things down. Yeah. Is this part of life? Like, it's just, now we're going to be like, hey, guys, there's something here because... God told me to roll dice. <laughs> like, God told me to roll extra dice. Yeah. Which, if I was a paladin... <laughs> <laughs> Go back to my halfling that thinks he's a paladin for second edition yeah. D&D. If I was a paladin, it would be like, God told me to roll more dice. Wait, what? Yeah, I gotta roll dice. Hold on. 
<laughs> but like, you know, it, it's a weird balance to strike, right? Because, you know, on some level, you don't want to just narrate everything, but it's a, it's a, it's a thing you just, I think you have to learn for your table too, right? Like, that's another thing you got to feel it out for the table that you're playing with, you know? Yeah. Whatever. I've, I, you know, I don't know. Words don't fail me now. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where you have to feel it out for your table and you have to be able to get an idea of what your table wants. You know, if your table wants to play where you're rolling dice constantly, okay, I guess we're going to be rolling dice constantly. And if you don't like that style of play, maybe you're not, you know, maybe you shouldn't be the one running that game. Yeah. Well, I used to listen to a podcast. It was D and D podcast and their whole shtick was that they would try to roll because, you know, their, their shtick was the failures. You know, they were fishing for those nat mm -hmm. ones and, and that was their bit. And that was what they did. You know what I mean? That was their brand. And so, yeah, they're going to do that a lot. But at the same time, if you're going for a more serious tone game, you want it to be more immersive to a certain point, constant die rolling is going to break that immersion as opposed to just the back and forth of narration between the GM and the players. And well, I'm going to go over here and, and poke around at this thing. Or, you know, like you said, I'm going to go check the desk. Well, yeah, you're a private detective. You know how to, to turn a desk out and look for well, things. It's assumed that you can, you know, you're a private detective. You're going to pull a couple drawers and you're going to try and get that thing inside, outside and backwards. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, and you know, that, that comes to, and, and to a certain point, you know, this, this hits especially heavy if you're running a more investigation based game, because then you do have, you need the players to find clues, but in having them roll, like I said, in you know, this happened to me when, when I was running, uh, I ran a one shot of Delta green for a bunch of people on the discord. And I had a situation where I had them all roll. I forget what it's called search or, notice i think i don't remember now off the top of my head what the name of the skill is and every single one of them failed and now i'm like well crap what do i do now <laughs> you know what i mean like so there's there's a point where and and i was doing that because i wanted to get people involved have them roll dice but at the same point i kind of bit myself in the foot too because now they all failed well how do i get them the thing that they need to progress yeah and that's a difficult thing. Or sometimes you just go, maybe you don't progress. Yeah. Yeah. There's that too. I mean, but that generally leads to everyone being frustrated. Yeah, but, but there's ways to play that where it's non-progression. Eh, I don't know. There, I think in my mind, there's ways of playing where maybe you don't progress. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying though. Like sometimes hitting that wall is, is a thing. And it depends too. Like in that case, it was a one shot. So I didn't have the luxury. Yeah. Okay. We'll come back to this later element of it. If it's a more of a campaign style game. Yeah. You, you could do that. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there too for running investigative stuff. I know uh, Seth Skorkowski has done a, a few episodes of his YouTube series, YouTube channel on it, which go check his stuff out. Cause it's really good. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. But like, I think rolling dice for as much as we talk about it in the hobby is something that maybe you want to think a little more before you just have people roll all the time for everything, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think rolling dice is one of those things that 
we take it for granted. And at the same time, the people that know, you know, people like GM Chris that know about tricks and stuff like that. Sometimes that doesn't get passed along to the newer players. You know what I mean? Or the people that are less experienced or, you know, the people that, you know, are new to systems or or even people that are just used to reading what the book says and sort of going off that. Some of that information doesn't get passed along. Like that was the first time I had heard of that or thought about it. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. That's genius. You're absolutely right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's been a while since I've listened to that episode, but I think the 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 meat of his comment was essentially that don't have them roll if the only good thing that can happen is they find the thing and if they don't find the thing now they're standing there twiddling their thumbs yeah don't have frivolous rolls you know don't don't have them make a role that for lack of a, that failure isn't interesting yeah yeah and, and failure being interesting is something that that's a player engagement thing that helps keeping your players involved that helps keep them get players at the table like if you can't keep your players engaged and and keep it interesting, they're going to like not that everybody's going to leave you, but like players will move on. They'll find other games to play or, you know, there's a lot of games to play out there. And if you can't keep your players engaged, it gets a little difficult. Like I've had trouble with just the wrong play group, keeping them engaged at the table. And so, you know, you just have to that's one of those things that you have to play it by ear. And you have to work with the players that are at your table and know what they're looking for and communicate. You know, we talk about communication a lot and it's really important. It's really important that you communicate between your players and everybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Communication is, it. it I mean, it, it, look, it's the core of, of playing these games is communicating back and forth. But even more than that, it's before you start playing, having a, a dialogue about, look, this is, what I'm going for. This is how I want to run things. You know, I'm going to assume that your characters are competent and that you can, you know, some of these things, I'm just going to say you did the thing as opposed to making you roll because then we can keep going. Yeah, we can keep the game moving. We don't have to stop for 10 minutes while you roll dice and figure out what the number is. And that's not, you know, that's not disparaging anybody who has difficulties like myself. I have difficulties doing math quickly. But it's more of a, to keep the pacing of the game, we're just going to roll dice. We're going to roll dice again. Or we're just going to say that this isn't that important. You don't have to roll dice for this check. You can succeed without having to roll dice for it. Yeah. And I think, you know, like Genesis does that, you know, because of the way the dice pool builds and everything, it, it, it helps you modify the stakes a little more clearly. You know, it, it is having played it at least more now. It is a different kind of way of thinking about things, but you almost always have something happen on the, on the die roll, you know, and that's where I think, you know, like powered by the apocalypse, which I'm not terribly familiar with. I haven't ever gotten a chance to play any of it, but their system is, is set up so that something always happens when you roll dice, good, bad, or partially bad. Either way, you know, it's not just, oh, you didn't do the thing next, which I think is is what we're really trying to say you want to avoid is, no, you didn't do it. What now? Yeah. Yeah. It's 
PBTA, I, I really need to read it and get it powered by the Apocalypse game. I know there's a couple people in our Discord that really like that system. and I never want to disparage it. I've just never touched it. I know there's a lot of people in the community that are like, oh, everything's powered by the Apocalypse. But at the same time, I've never grabbed a game that's powered by the Apocalypse. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I have a couple, but I haven't actually read them yet. Yeah, I, I want to know... Like, I know that's sort of powered by the apocalypse is sort of a, I don't want to say catch all term. It's sort of an engine for games in a way. Yeah. Kind of a design framework. Yeah. That's more of what I was looking for. Less of an engine and more of a framework because there's a number of PBTA games that are radically different from each other. Oh, yeah. Very much. And and on the subject of, of PBTA, to digress for a minute. Have you, Steve, paid attention to the recently launched Avatar Kickstarter? Yes, I have. It's going ham. It set a new record for an RPG-based Kickstarter in like the first two and a half days. Mm-hmm. You know, the the old record, I think, was what, uh, Matt Colville went just over two million. And right now, literally a week into the campaign, they're sitting at 23 days to go. Four million one hundred ninety-nine dollars and seven hundred one hundred four million one hundred ninety-nine thousand seven hundred sixty dollars. Yeah, of a goal of fifty thousand. Yes, yes, and that you know that's a powered by the apocalypse game. Um, that's from Magpie, and that's what they've. I mean, they've they've done a bunch of stuff. I know. Um, yeah, they've got a bunch of games out. I mean, Magpie. Yeah, (laughs) the name says it all. But I mean, yeah, that has gone berserk. Well, and the fact of it is, is that. Any stretch goal, <laughs> any stretch goal that they set has now been crushed. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, that's, I had heard, and I, I haven't looked at that far down, but I had heard they literally ran out of stretch goals. I would imagine at $4 million, they probably did. I'm going to scroll down here. NPCs. I'm looking, I'm looking. Yeah, the, well, the last one listed as we're recording. Yeah, it's $4 million. So they broke that. So they're out of stretch goals hey guess what games funded if you want to go get all they got some cool stuff yeah like the game's funded but i would be tempted to even throw money at this like well i i'll be completely even at the 120 at the 120 level there's some really nice stuff here the dice the dice bags digital rewards all the books is that the uh that's the is that the special edition cover too or is that the Uh, next oh no that's retailers only uh let's take a look here the hundred dollar one i think it's the the special cover special cover yep all stretch goals yeah one hundred dollar level does that yeah so i mean it you know and i will say you know it's it's something i've been kind of working on i've been wanting to get somebody on because we do these system you know system overview shows i've been working to try and get some people on to talk about power by the apocalypse so i may have to uh redouble my efforts and see if i can't get somebody to come come talk about this because it's you know it's it's a force in in the industry yeah well i don't have too much more to say about rolling dice you know like i said sometimes for as much as dice are a big part of playing these games sometimes it might work better if maybe you put down the dice more (laughs) yeah well with that then do we want to do uh game of the week or do we have anything else you want to talk about before that no i think we'll move on to game of the week all right Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. You go first or am I going first? Uh, I'll go first. I have a weird one. 
You a weird game? No, really. <laughs> Mine is all right because I love what it does to my brain. It's called Dead Ball, and I you've probably seen it on drive through. I know I've seen it a couple times on drive through. It is baseball with dice. The whole point of the game is to play baseball. It's for one or two players to bring like a realistic baseball ballpark tabletop uh-huh. game. And I like the idea of and and I hadn't really thought about it. It's a it's a segment of the community that I hadn't really put much thought into. I like the idea of sports tabletop RPGs where you're simulating playing a sport. I wouldn't necessarily do it for a long time, but maybe once in a while, you know, something weird to throw on a table. I think that would be fun. This is just, it's just baseball. (laughs) It's just baseball. It's nothing. It's not like, oh man, it's baseball, but in the future. No, it's, it's baseball. (laughs) Well, but you could also use it to play a mini game within the game you're playing if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, you could use it to run baseball inside of another game. Or, yeah, it's just, I just think it's a neat idea of, like, in the, like, video gaming community, sports games are pretty common. In tabletop, sports games are kind of uncommon. Yeah, that's true. And I like the idea of that here's a sports simulation game in tabletop form. Hmm. Yeah, I had, honestly, I'd never seen this before. This does look interesting. Hmm. As you look at it, it's just like, it's just baseball. It's like, yeah, hmm. that's <laughs> neat. There's a but couple really of bundles is. and yeah, the, the core book is pay what you want. Yeah. And there's a quick start. It's, it's free. Yeah. The quick start is, uh, is what they describe as actually free. And that's yeah, neat. it looks like it's aimed more towards playing like. Like the artwork and stuff suggests more of an old, like original baseball of like early 1900s type. But yeah, it's just neat. It's just interesting. Yeah, no, that does look look different and unique. What do you got? <laughs> well, I was digging around and I found one that, well, I don't know how many of us actually play this just ourselves. Although, well, we let's be honest, you and I would because... I think we we would get ourselves in a lot of trouble with this. But I found a game, and I think it's something that, that we probably have some listeners that might be interested in it because it's, well, I'll tell you the name first. It's called Little Monster Detectives. Okay, you have my attention. <laughs> now, I will, I will read the beginning of the, the listing on drive-thru. This is no ordinary book. There are monsters inside. Yes, you got that right. Monsters exist and live with us. Don't be afraid. They aren't bad. At least not entirely. Have you ever noticed that you might be missing socks or that you hear strange noises in the dead of night? You aren't absent-minded, nor do the pipelines make noise. They're the monsters of darkness. But don't panic, because there are brave detectives whose job it is to catch them so they will stop bothering you. They are none other than the monster detectives. Hmm, That's cute. What this is, is actually a game designed for kids. Yeah. It's designed for kids starting at age five. Okay, I can respect that. Like, I I like a game designed for children because it's accessible. Yeah, and and so yeah, it's and and okay. I remember as a young child, my parents got me a copy of it was a Sesame Street book, and some of you may remember this. It was called "There's a Monster at the End of This Book." Yep, yep, I had it, and 
I actually remember being scared the first time they read it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, for for little kids, that would be a lot of fun. If it's keep it lighthearted, keep it whimsical and silly, and even like as an adult. I'm excited to play something like that because it's it's fun and whimsical and lighthearted. And, you know, you get wrapped up in those games that are so dire and dark and serious and taking themselves seriously. And it's like, mm, eh, that's fine. It's good for when you want to do that. But at the same time, I want a game that, you know, if I if I shot my brain off or even something that's stimulating, but not not like grim and dark and gritty and you know yeah more of just like here's a silly game about finding monsters that are stealing socks or you know yeah like and and i know we've got listeners that you know have younger kids or maybe you know i might even have a couple that have grandkids you know what i'm whatever and let's be honest most of us that that play these games there's a little bit of kid at heart to us so I have a feeling this is something that you could very easily play with three adults and a couple kids or all adults if you really wanted to, because, well, let's be honest, we all like to make up silly stuff. Yeah. But why we play it in the hobby, we play it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but I, and I've mentioned it before, um, Alex Thomas, who did the mutants and masterminds things with us, Mm -hmm. his, um, organization, um, that's called the untold stories project. They put out a podcast it's called something, something dragons. And that is one of the people in the organization. It's their early teen daughter and a bunch of her friends. And they're, they happen to be playing pathfinder, but I've listened to a few episodes of it and it's really, really neat to hear the way they play the game because the, I don't know how to describe it other than just like, there's this kind of, innocent imagination to it that is often very lacking when we as adults all play these games you know we're we're all thinking about you know well what's the best way to kill the monster and and you know they'll be thinking well yeah but if i do this i'll get gook on my shoes and i don't want to do that (laughs) (laughs) and it's like it's just refreshing to hear that and it feels like this game would really really capture that you know and it's it's it is written to play with kids you know, and it, there's even a thing it mentions uh, further on down the listing where it's designed for even, you know, like if you've got one older child or whatever, that it's designed for them to be able to run the game, too, on, on you know, it has different kind of levels of rules and mechanics. So, you know, it, it flat out says it's designed, you know, to be able to kind of bend and flex it to deal with shorter attention spans or, you know, younger children who are still really learning their numbers. So, like I said, I, I'm having to, you know, half of a mind to spend the 15 bucks to get this just because it could be fun just to play with, you know, be it you or whoever. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think it's, it's cute and fun. Sounds like a good time. You know what else is coming up, Steve? What's that? Another episode or two. This will be a whole darn year. We've done this thing. I know that's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> like we're coming up on. Yeah, you're right. By the time this one airs, I think this episode will be our our fifty first week. Because I know we had that one one little bonus episode we we released midweek. Scrolling down, yeah, September 9th was our original release date. 
So yeah, we're coming up on it one month from now. Yeah, one month from as we record. So um, I guess if if any of y'all have any crazy ideas that we should something we should do for our, I have, our, I have our a crazy idea, Steve. You have a crazy idea? I do. I think every year we re-record our first episode. <laughs> God, that means I gotta go back and listen to it again. No, no, no. We just it's the the idea of it was session zero. We just it's a new it's a new episode every time, but it's the same topic every year. Okay. <laughs> we could do something like that. But oh my. All right. Well, you know, I'll remind everybody get out there and and check out our Discord, check out our Facebook, all that stuff is in the show notes. Please come hang out in our Discord. I am in there to talk to you people more than you realize. I, I may not type and, and communicate in like the written means, but I'm constantly, you know this recently, especially been sitting and just going into general chat and come talk to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm constantly checking it. Well, you're constantly much more than I really should answering but, in written. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, for someone whose thumbs are half the size of a phone screen, I managed to type a decent amount. You do. You do type a lot in our Discord. But with that, you know, we want to remind everybody to be kind to one another and uh, get out there and play some RPGs. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast, on Discord at Me and Steve RPGs, and as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, twenty bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. getting there hold on edit this out don't leave it in if we're hearing it in there i'm i'm leaving the podcast <laughs>